because it's Easter, uh, we get to watch a video to begin the conversation, right? Okay. And all I'll say is pay attention. Okay? You'll see what I mean. This is an awareness test. How many passes does the team in white make? The answer is 13. But did you see the moonwalking bear? is correct. Yeah, most everybody. How many people saw the moonwalking bear? Yeah, okay. So so they say about half see it. Um, so we're a particularly dense crowd today. <laughs> I will confess the first time I saw that video. Yeah, yeah. Okay, so that, that excuse it even more, right? Okay, so this video is a case study in what social psychologists call Inattentional blindness. Let me see if I can get that. Okay, that's how it's spelled. Inattentional blindness, which is a psychological lack of attention that's not associated with a physical vision deficit or defect. It's the event in which a person fails to recognize an unexpected stimulus right in front of their eyes. They fail to see what's right under their nose. Um, the cause is, you know, what, what causes this phenomena, inattentional blindness? Um, a couple of big factors. Number one is distraction, what psychologists call perceptual load. How much are you having to focus on at any given time, right? The higher the perceptual load or the greater the distraction, the harder it is um, to catch everything that's significant. The easier it is to miss something that you might not be looking for, right? Another factor is just expectation. It's the tagline of this video. It's easy to miss something you're not looking for. If you're not looking for it, you're much less likely to see it. Your, your, your brain is not postured in a way that you would be on the lookout for it. So you're much less likely to see it. Isn't that interesting? Um, we might experience this effect uh, perhaps more than we think. And we're probably not the only ones either. Let's get the readers up here and uh, read our story for the day. The good story in, uh, at the end of Luke. If you want to follow along, you're welcome. If you just want to listen... You're welcome to, but we're gonna we're gonna like read this like a screenplay, I guess, um, and uh, let these guys. I'll be the narrator, and we've got uh, we've got the players in the story. Experience the story with me. On the first day of the week, very early in the morning, 
the women took the spices they had prepared and went to the tomb. They found the stone rolled away from the tomb, but when they entered, they did not find the body of the Lord Jesus. While they were wondering about this, suddenly two men in clothes that gleamed like lightning stood beside them. In their fright, the women bowed down with their faces to the ground, but the men said to them, Why do you look for the living among the dead? He is not here. He has risen. Remember how he told you while he was still with you in Galilee. The Son of Man must be delivered over the hands of sinners, be crucified, and on the third day be raised again. Then they remembered his words. When they came back from the tomb, they told all these things to the eleven and to all the others. It was Mary Magdalene, Joanna, Mary the mother of James, and the others with them who told this to the apostles. But they didn't believe the women because their words seemed to them like nonsense. Peter, however, got up and ran to the tomb. Bending over, he saw the strips of linen lying by themselves, and he went away, wondering to himself what had happened. Now, that same day, two of them were going to a village called Emmaus, about seven miles round trip from Jerusalem. And they were talking with each other about everything that had happened. And they talked and discussed these things with each other. As they talked, Jesus himself came up and walked along with them. But they were kept from recognizing him. He asked them, What are you discussing as you walk along? They stood, their faces downcast. One of them named Cleopas asked him, Are you the only one visiting Jerusalem who does not know the things that have happened here these days? What things? He asked. About Jesus of Nazareth. They replied. He was a prophet, powerful in word and deed before God and all the people. The chief priests and our rulers handed him over to be sentenced to death, and they crucified him. But we had hoped that he was the one who was going to redeem Israel. And what is more, it is the third day since all this took place. In addition, some of our women amazed us. They went to the tomb early this morning, but they didn't find his body. They came and told us they had seen a vision of angels who said he was alive. And some of our companions went to the tomb and found it just as the woman had said. But they did not see Jesus. Jesus said to them, How foolish you are. How slow to believe the prophets have spoken. Did not Messiah have to suffer these things and then enter into his glory? And beginning with Moses and all the prophets, he explained to them what was said in all the scriptures concerning himself. And as they approached the village to which they were going, Jesus continued on as if he were going farther. But they urged him strongly. Stay with us. It is nearly evening. The day is almost over. So he went in to stay with them. And when he was at the table with them, he took bread, gave thanks, broke it, and began to give it to them. Then their eyes were opened, and they recognized him, and he disappeared from their sight. They asked each other, Were not our hearts burning within us while he talked with us on the road and opened the scriptures to us? They got up and returned at once to Jerusalem. And there they found the eleven, and those with them assembled together, saying, It is true, the Lord has risen and has appeared to Simon. And then the two told what had happened on the way, and how Jesus was recognized by them when he broke the bread. And while they were still talking about this, Jesus himself stood among them and said to them, Peace be with you. They were startled 
and frightened, thinking they saw a ghost. He said to them, Why are you troubled? Why do doubts rise in your mind? Look at my hands and my feet. It is on myself. Touch me and see. A ghost does not have flesh and bones as you see I have. When he had said this, he showed them his hands and feet. And while they still did not believe it, because of joy and amazement, he asked them, Do you have anything here to eat? And they gave him a piece of boiled fish. And he took it and ate it in their presence. He said to them, This is what I told you while I was still with you. Everything must be fulfilled as written about me in the law of Moses and the prophets in the song. Then he opened their minds so that they could understand the scriptures. And he told them, This is what is written. The Messiah will suffer and rise from the dead the third day. The repentance will forgive us the sin will be preached in his name to all nations beginning in Jerusalem. You're my witness of these things. I'm going to send you what the Father has promised. But stay in the city until you have the clothe of power from on high. The word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Thank you, guys. So, as I read this story, uh, what caught my attention was the struggle of those within the story to see what was happening. To really believe and grasp what was happening right in front of them. Um, When the women go and find the tomb empty and they come back to the disciples, the disciples don't believe them because it seemed like nonsense. Well, of course it did. Who comes back from the dead? Are you kidding me, right? They had no frame of reference or expectation. Even when Jesus said, hey, Scripture says the Son of Man has to be crucified and then will be raised from the dead. No, they still, that still seemed like nonsense that somebody would come back to life. I mean, Lazarus was raised not too long ago, but it was Jesus who raised, he had the power to raise him from the dead. And now Jesus is the one who's died. Who's going to be the one to raise Jesus from the dead? The guy with the power isn't here any longer. That's nonsense. And then Peter, you know, so brash, right? The, The one who wants to be the edge of the spear and run out and figure everything out. He goes to the tomb and he finds it empty and he walks away wondering, what's happening here? Did somebody steal his body? What? What is going on here? He, Peter had trouble seeing what was right in front of him, right? And then Cleopas and their, his companion, his fellow disciple on the road, Jesus shows up. He comes alongside of them on the road to Emmaus. He's right there. And the, the story says they were kept from recognizing him. Isn't that interesting? What kept them? From recognizing him. Was it God? Was it Satan? Was it the powers of evil? Was it something within them that kept them from seeing what was happening right in front of them? What was it? You know, we don't know for sure. This story doesn't break it down like that for us. But I wonder if at least part of it was not this inattentional blindness that we're talking about, right? Right? They, they were distracted 
by their grief and shock. Their beloved friend and teacher had passed away. And they're, they're fumbling and stumbling and, and mourning the loss of their leader. And, and expectation. Who, who expects someone to come back to life? It's, it doesn't happen every day. It, it hardly ever happens. Ever. Right? They, they didn't have an ex- expectation. And so maybe these contributed to the sense of blindness that they had, this perceptual blindness, because they were overwhelmed, they were distracted, they were not expecting it. And yet, here is Jesus, risen right in front of them. Don't we sometimes struggle to see it too? Just thinking about our Good Friday gathering. And Ted led us through the, the story uh, of Jesus eating the Last Supper before his death and then going to the, the Mount of Olives and in the garden he's betrayed by Peter, the same one who runs into the tomb. And, and then he's taken to the cross, he's whipped, he's beaten, he's, he's, he's hung on the cross and the story on Good Friday finishes with Jesus saying, it's finished. And gasping his last breath. And in a more honest moment, as I sat with this story, I thought to myself, this story feels a lot like my life. It's full of disappointment, and it lacks a lot of closure. Gosh, even that story revealed to me how it's hard for me to believe, to see what's at work. Right in front of me. I stayed with a friend recently. And um, when we woke up in the morning, first thing he did was turn the news on. And um, I, I don't watch the news in the morning. I don't turn anything on in the morning. And so it was kind of jarring to me. And let me be clear. It's not because I am some holy contemplative. Um, it's because... I'm not awake yet. And noises in the morning annoy me. Just ask my wife. We don't talk for the first 90 minutes of the day. Children have really challenged my lack of morning uh, personness, all of that. So I was kind of jarred by the news um, being on. It was in the background, and then we sat down and kind of watched it, and it was just there the whole time, kind of. Telling all of the world's stories for the day. Mostly disconcerting. Yeah? And, uh, you know, it kind of dawned on me. I I recollected a a time when when this particular friend had told me um, that he had a hard time not being overwhelmed by all of the evil and brokenness in the world. And it kind of hit me. Um, No wonder. Right? Right? If you wake up every morning and you're immersed in the news, why why wouldn't you be? Because if anyone struggles with inattentional blindness, it's the media outlet, right? What drives media? What drives views and clicks? Um, It's fear and anxiety and what's interesting and what's dramatic and what's dark. And, and what, what's full of death? I mean, we don't have to look past this week with the horrors of Brussels, right? None of that is to say that it doesn't happen, because it does. And if we look at it long enough, 
and, and for sustained enough time. It captures our attention. It captures our imagination, right? To the neglect almost of anything else. No wonder it's easy to feel overwhelmed. If those are the stories that we're listening to, to the exclusion of others. What is it for you? What makes it hard for you to see anything but the darkness in the world? Maybe it's fatigue, honestly. Maybe it's fatigue for you. It's hard to be to see the light uh, when we're tired, when we're so run thin. Maybe maybe it's a job that you don't like, and you you hate the grind of it, and it colors everything that you see in your life. Maybe it's maybe it's unfulfilled expectations that you have for your life, dreams that you have that haven't come true yet, and that puts a lens on everything that you see. You see the world through that darkness. Maybe it's a relationship or relationships that are full of unforgiveness and bitterness. And it's hard to make it through days because you you often feel the pain of those relationships. What is it for you? What is it that, that keeps you from seeing the light in the midst of the darkness? My favorite part of this Emmaus story is um, in verses 30 through 32 where they recognize that Jesus is with them. He breaks bread and it says their, their eyes were opened and they recognized him. That's my favorite part of the story. I ran across this painting from a guy, Caravaggio. It's an early 17th century painting. And Caravaggio loves the Emmaus story so much so that he has um, two separate Emmaus paintings uh, that are valued in the bajillions of dollars. Uh, but what I love, I don't know what he loved about this, but what I love about this, it's a little hard to see. But over here on the right, you've got Cleopas, and his hands are like this. Right? And the other guy, he's, he's gripping his chair like this, like he's about to get up. This is the moment that they're realizing this is Jesus in front of them, raised from the dead, and they are wigging out. <laughs> right? The, the paradigm is shifting. They're realizing that Jesus is alive, and the, the weight of that realization, they can't process that, right? They can't, they can't understand all of that in the moment. But their bodies are just showing... They're, they're grasping the glory in this moment. What was it that triggered it? Perhaps it was the way that he gave thanks. Right? They're sitting at the table. And when they heard him feed the 5,000, you know, yes, everybody prays kind of the way that they pray, right? And Jesus is praying and he uses a couple turns of phrase that he always used and they think, Wait a minute. I've heard that before. I learned how to pray like that. Maybe, maybe it was the way that he broke the bread. Or, or the, the way that he looked at them across the table. Because certainly they have eaten with Jesus innumerable times in the past few years. Something triggered this recognition, this realization for them. And their eyes were opened in this Eucharistic moment. And then he vanishes. Of course, they're not going to go to sleep after something like this. It's, the, it's late in the evening at this point. 
Back in the day, they don't have street lamps, right? It's pitch dark outside. They get out and they stumble through the darkness, ironically. They stumble through the darkness with some light that they have to find the disciples in Jerusalem about three and a half miles away. And when they get to the disciples, maybe they were expecting these guys are going to be asleep. We're going to wake them up because we got something to tell them. But no, all the disciples are awake too because Jesus has appeared to Simon Peter. And they're all abuzz about it. And they're talking. Did you see what I saw? Did, what happened with you guys? Well, we were on this road. Well, Peter, oh, I was over here. And, and while they're having all this chatter, Jesus shows up again. Right? He's right there in their midst. And just to make sure that it's not a hallucination or that he's not some holy apparition that's not actually the flesh and blood Jesus, he eats some food. Just to show you guys, like, my digestive processes still work here. It doesn't fall to the floor when I put it in my mouth, right? It doesn't move through my esophagus, like, magically or something. He wanted them to show, to, to show them tangibly, like, I'm a real, live, breathing person. I'm back from the dead. And their eyes are opened. They see, they see the good news of the kingdom of God in living color. That Jesus is alive. That the death machine of Rome and Judaism, the the kingdom of the world, that that death machine is bankrupt. That the way of violence and hatred is impotent. And that love and hope and service and self-sacrifice have the last word in the world. The kingdom of God arrives in a stunning way. They were witnessing something truly remarkable and miraculous, a history-changing moment, because if God could raise Jesus from the dead, then surely God could raise the world from the dead too. Can you see it? Can you see God's life-giving power breaking into our world all around us? I made a new friend recently. Um, He's the brother of a good friend of mine. And the three of us were running an errand together one day. And I could tell immediately that this new friend of mine was really uh, a stern, kind of firm man. Uh, Really stoic. You know, not a lot of emotion. He was a... Um, get it done. You know, we've got this errand. I've got a timeline. And I, I can appreciate that. Let's get it done, right? All right. I'm good. Let's go. Um, but I, I can tell that immediately about him. And as we're driving around town, um, I asked him about his church experiences. You know, I'm a pastor. That's a natural question for me to ask. And the first thing he said was, I thought you might ask about that. <laughs> he went on to tell me that he hadn't been a part of a church for probably six or seven years. And the reason was because he had really struggled with unforgiveness and bitterness from a bad experience that he had with a couple other folks that were a part of the church that he was a part of. And it was really hard for him to return to church, to God, to community. And then without me saying anything, he said, I think God wanted you to ask me that question. So that I would forgive him. And as we're reaching our destination, he asked, 
so how do I do this? And I'm thinking, how do you do what? <laughs> do I just start praying? Or, uh, you know, what, what am I supposed to do? Uh, and I'm thinking, I'm not, I'm not sure. Uh, you know, this is uh, Pastoral Learning 101, apparently. I'm, I'm being initiated. Right? Prayer sounds good. Let's pray. So he starts praying. God, I forgive them. Help me to forgive them. And in that moment, he started this journey of letting go of that unforgiveness and, and bitterness. And, and I knew something was happening when he broke down and started crying. And in the back seat, his brother started crying. And I'm looking between both of them, thinking, what is happening here? And realizing ever so slowly that this is a sacred moment. This is holy ground. The life-giving power of God is breaking in right in front of my eyes. This is what it looks like when the kingdom of God arrives around us. Can you see it? Can you see the life-giving power of God at work all around us? I was coaching a, a church planner recently. I work for an organization called Mission Alive, uh, the one you saw in the news. And we train people to start new churches. And as with any startup work, it's fraught with difficulty and risk. It's really hard. There are lots of setbacks and disappointments that are just embedded in the whole process. And this planter at this particular time was looking all of them in the face. Fundraising had been slow. Team building had been slow. Connections with people in this neighborhood had been slow. And it, it's easy in those moments just to kind of gaze. Fix your gaze on all the stuff that is not going well. So we started praying, and in our prayer, we just started giving thanks. Even in the midst of all of the darkness that was happening, we started giving thanks for all the stuff that we saw God do. Um, and, and by the end of it, I think it surprised us both. We had this quite a long list of things that we could thank God for in the midst of what seemed like a train wreck of a project. And after we finished the prayer, he said, you know, man, I, I really need to pray more often because I didn't realize how much God was up to I was so fixated on the stuff that wasn't going right there's some power I think a thanksgiving giving thanks is a wonderful strategy for combating that inattentional blindness because it disciplines us to look for God's work around us and to say thank you for it, right? it reminds me of Ann Voskamp's book, A Thousand Gifts, where she set out on this journey to write down a thousand things that she was thankful for. And it changed her life because it gave her a new set of eyes. It gave her resurrection eyes for the way that God was at work in the world. Can you see it? Can you see him? Can you see Jesus? Rest assured that if you struggle to see Him, if, you, if you're answering no this morning, that that's okay. Uh, but rest assured that if you want to see, if you want to see the light, if you want to experience the light in the midst of the darkness, that God is eager to show you. God is eager 
to open your eyes to the light. If we'll only open our hearts to God and make ourselves available to Him, the Bible word for that is repentance. It can be like an unwieldy religious word sometimes. It just means turn to God. Open ourselves to God. And God can open our eyes so that we can recognize Him. We can see the power and strength of the risen Lord. We can experience His resurrection work in our heart. And we can see it all around us, too. You know, this isn't a gimmick. Um, you know, it's not a, it's not a ploy to kind of metaphorically close our eyes and pretend that death and evil and darkness are all around us, because they are. Um, but it's also true that another world is breaking into this world. And the world of death and darkness is not the only world in our world. The world of light, the kingdom of light, the kingdom of resurrection and healing and hope and power is breaking in too. And it's available to us. So let's immerse ourselves in that story. Let's look for that story. Because I I think, well, may we find the light of God as we look for that. May we see the glory of God in ourselves as we look for that. I just want to invite you. To make that your prayer. To do the turn thing during our worship that will follow. You guys can start making your way forward. Um, to, to lead us in a time where we just ask God to open the eyes of our hearts. So that we can see.